0: A new year brings with it new and unconventional ideas for progressive farmers hoping to build more diverse and profitable businesses. What lessons can be learned from an unusual distillery in northeastern Nebraska? That's today on Field Posts. Fieldpost Post is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Senior editor for the Progressive Farmer, Joel Richenberger, was excited to find some time recently to get out and visit Joe Nob and Devin Burcham at Flyover Whiskey in West Point, Nebraska. These two recently purchased a nearby distillery and have decided to do something novel with it, Take your corn and make custom whiskey. Today, Joel will tell us all about the operation he saw, the motivation behind some of the business's moves, and discuss how Flyover's model fits into the trend of farmers, especially young and beginning farmers, building on-farm businesses that go beyond commodity grain or livestock production. We'll talk whiskey flavors by corn variety, details of the distilling process, and challenges the operation has faced. Right after this word from our sponsor... This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities and easily make an offer with help from the free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusiness to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress and enter and track inventory. Start to confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free in the Apple Store. Now, back to the show. Progressive Farmer Senior Editor Joel Richenberger joins us today to talk more about his recent visit to Flyover Whiskey. Joel, I wonder if you could just talk about how did you hear about these folks? Where did the idea for this story come from?
1: Well, it's one of the things where one story led to another. I stopped to see a farmer who I'd been meaning to see in uh, about a year ago. I stopped to see a farmer in South Central Kansas on a way back from a meeting. And we got to just talking about what he was up to and what he was looking forward to for the next year. And he mentioned that he was growing a field of corn. And the only reason he was growing that corn was because he wanted to send it off to have his own whiskey made. And so, well, that my boy, my ears really picked up, perked up at that. Cause that's I think that it immediately sounded super cool. Um, and to be frank, I ended up writing this story, and I haven't yet written the story about the farmer I stopped to see. So I feel a little bad. <laughs> he shouldn't have given me such a good tip. But I just kind of had that in the back of my head. And I went ahead and looked him up, Flyover Whiskey. It's in kind of north east Nebraska, between the north northwest of Omaha a little ways. And one of the things that usually takes up a lot of my summer and fall is, is photographing our annual America's Best Young. We pick five a year and I like to try to travel around and I had to kind of keep my eyes open for other stories in the area. And we had a guy in Northeast Nebraska. And so I immediately was like, oh, we're going to be close. I'm going to be close to flyover whiskey. And so I reached out to the company and, and managed to arrange a time to visit when I was out there for that photo shoot. And uh, yeah, it worked out perfect because they will swing by in the morning and they just finished up corn harvest. And so they had a little bit of time to sit down with me and it worked out really well.
0: So it's a farm. It's a whiskey company. What is it? What is Flyover Whiskey?
1: Yeah, it looks, you drive by, and you wouldn't think twice. I am I don't think there's even a flyover whiskey sign in the front. I pulled in and was like, oh, am I in the right spot here? So yeah, they run cattle and they do some row crops and corn and stuff and kind of a multi-generational deal. And Joe, is his dad runs the farm and he's been helping out. Joe went off to University of Nebraska at Lincoln and came back to the farm. And he told me he was just looking for a side business, kind of looking for his own thing. He's helping out a lot on the farm, but they do run a lot of cattle. And so he says he loves to meet. There are steaks to to friends and family, and maybe he could sell some of that. And that's a lot of people are doing that these days, and that's a really interesting business as well. But that didn't quite feel right to him. And another friend from Lincoln down the road had started this whiskey company, Flyover Whiskey, and he'd opened it for six months and decided he was uh, he was going to go back to school for grad school. And so Joe jumped in and bought it. Joe and some family jumped in and bought it. And it was barely even off the ground yet. And so they ended up buying the equipment, the brand and they moved it into their farm. And it took off pretty quick. And I think pretty quick, they had a 10-month waiting list. But it takes a little while to actually produce the whiskey. It takes about eight weeks or two months to go from a bag of corn to six bottles of whiskey, which is what you get for... It costs three hundred fifty bucks, I think, is what they're charging, and so it takes about two months to go from bag of, from corn to whiskey, and and they just do it all there. They do it in a they do it in a building that they used to use for hogs, and they've managed to repurpose it, and it suits what they're doing really. Well. But yeah, you drive by and wouldn't think twice about what they were doing there, unless you got into that building. So it's pretty neat how they've really been able to carve this, create this little side business, and in addition to, to the regular farming they're doing.
0: You mentioned that no it takes three months to go from corn to whiskey and you get six bottles It because they're not using corn that they grow. They went for a little bit of a different business model. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, the coolest part about it is you can mail them your corn and they will make you a bottle of whiskey. So you mail them, I think they ask for 20 pounds of corn and they'll send you, you sign up on their website and they'll send you a bag and you mail back the corn and then in six or seven or eight or 10 months or however long, I know they're backed up with a lot of demand at this point, you'll get back six bottles of whiskey. And so I'd never heard of anything like that. And briefly searching around, I haven't seen any other companies that really offer offer something like that. But there's such immediate appeal to me. I think about my, my, my own dad grows a little bit of corn in South Central Kansas. And this last harvest, I had my brother... Makes it down to help him out with harvest sometimes. And I had him fill up a five gallon bucket of corn on the sly so that we can get him six bottles of Larry Richenberger whiskey, which just seems so cool. Um, and they really go all out on the custom, like you can send them photos or you can name the whiskey and you can send them photos and they'll incorporate that into the label. So you end up with some, you end up with some bottles that are truly yours. The tricky part, is I don't know if I'd want to drink it. It seems so cool. It's such a cool souvenir. It might almost be better sitting behind the bar than actually drinking. But if, I guess if you get six, you can drink a couple and have, still have one or two to display.
0: I have to ask the question, One, did you get a chance to taste any? And then I wonder, it seems like the focus is very much on personalization. Did the distillers talk at all about how different corn from different areas, different years, different times leads to different kinds of whiskey? Kind of
1: embarrassed. I didn't taste any. Hey, I'm not a big whiskey guy and it was about 9 a.m. So I, I guess okay. I just wasn't feeling it at the moment. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I was a little skeptical. About, well, if we could send this, this send this bag of corn to them to do for my dad's farm and are we ever going to really know if it i don't have a that fine of a tune taste for whiskey necessarily so how how would you ever know but they take it really seriously and when you go in their operation you can really see how they track whose bottle is what and whose corn is what and they are really careful about making sure that it's your corn that ends up in your whiskey and they swear up and down, you can taste the difference. Now, some of that comes from the different kind of corn that people send in. If everyone is sending in yellow corn and similar hybrids, then you, my guess is, my instinct is that you'd probably need a pretty fine-tuned sense of taste when it comes to whiskey to be able to discern any difference. They say they get a lot of different kinds of corn. They get like white corn, and they get they get old, they get more legacy varieties. And so they get a lot of different kinds of corn that that do taste do end up tasting pretty different they said the white isn't being really sweet they get sweet corn that has a real distinctive taste they said they've done a lot of popcorn whiskey using popcorn running that through the process and so in that sense it certainly does now is a bucket of the cow corn from from texas going to taste different than one from nebraska they told me they can tell a difference i don't know i'll take their word for it <laughs> but i think it's super interesting and it's you know Maybe there's a little bit in your imagination that tastes different, but that's so cool to me. It's cool to be able to sit there with your own bottle of whiskey that came from your corn. And sure, you might, oh boy, this tastes like like the North 80. I can really tell from the soil here. And who knows, I know you know, farmers, farmers know their ground so well, maybe they can taste something unique about exactly where that corn comes from. I hope so.
0: I wanted to ask a little bit, you mentioned that the guys who are at Flyover now had maybe thought about or or explored a custom beef business. You've done a couple of stories or done some reporting over the last couple of years around kind of alternative business models and how people are thinking about other ways to bring in income on farms that aren't just adding acres. Uh, This is obviously a very unique example of that. I'm curious what other kinds of business models like this you're seeing or keeping track of right now.
1: It's something that's always fascinated me. Growing up, we would do mostly wheat and we'd put it in the truck, take it to town and take it to the co-op and uh, sell some when my dad would sell some when the price was high or when we were going vacation. Sometimes we'd stop by the co-op on the way out of town and sell some grain. And since I've gotten in with Progressive Farmer for almost five years now, four and a half years now, it's been really fascinating to me just to see how creative and innovative modern day farmers are. And stuff like this. One of my favorite stories I did last year was about the Colorado Farm Brewery, which is down in southern Colorado near Alamosa. And it's kind of a similar story to these guys, except down there, they've been growing barley for the big manufacturers for 100 years. Like their grandpa had started growing barley down there, and or great-grandpa maybe, for for Anheuser-Busch and for Coors. And that was one of the major crops in the region. And that had paid for it paid for college for kids, and it paid for mortgages for the house, and paid for vacations for all these years. it had been a way of life for farms there, but they quit paying so much, and the money wasn't there anymore with those big manufacturers. And they were just about to sell the farm and just get out of it entirely because they were losing so much money. And they decided instead to change their focus to do custom malting. And they tore some equipment out of an old dairy barn and repurposed a bunch of equipment they had, and ended up malting, doing custom malting, and that was super successful for them. They've now they have more business than they can ever deal with, and they ended up opening a brewery on site. They so they grow some hops. The barley comes from the fields at their at their property, and the water comes from underneath them. And they found a strain of yeast native to their little piece of land there. And so you can drink some beers there that have literally never left the property for any reason. They have a small bottling line. And so stuff like that just super fascinates me. When you see farmers, I mean, farmers can be so innovative and so creative in, in how they earn a buck sometimes. And I just love that kind of stuff. And in traveling around the country, meeting with a lot, meeting with farmers, there's so many farmers who do have their own little thing, whether it's, whether it's, they found a little niche in marketing where they can, you know, where they're selling some wheat. To, to a brewer or to a distiller or something or some corn to a dis, to distiller or all these interesting little ways that are a little more interesting than you know, taking the truck to town and dumping in the co-op and letting the co-op figure out what to do with it. And they can earn a little premium that way. And a lot of guys use that to pay the bills. A lot of farmers use that to pay the bills. And I just think that's really interesting. And whenever I come across a story like this, I jump all over it because that stuff really catches my eye.
0: I think one of the things that maybe discourages people or gives people anxiety about potentially exploring an uh, alternative business model like a whis- like making whiskey or malting is the idea that they don't know what the challenges are. They don't know how to navigate through mistakes or what that looks like. I'm curious whether you talk to these guys about any challenges that they've had. I imagine making whiskey, selling whiskey is a little bit different than selling corn. So I wonder if you can just talk about how they are working through just having a very different business on the farm.
1: One of the things we talked a little bit about, but I probably didn't, I didn't dive into enough probably when I was talking to them. They talked a little about one of the reasons they were eager to buy the guy down the road's whiskey operation rather than start their own was the licensing. And they talked about how that can be a big headache and a big expense. And they were able to transfer over everything he had done in that regard to them. And it seemed like that was a big hurdle that they managed to get over more easily than someone else might. And certainly, you know, there's no shortage of laws on the books all around the country, different laws in the books around the country, when it comes to buying and selling and producing liquor and alcohol. I think it's probably going to be a different story everywhere, even county to county in some states, I'm sure. So that's something I know they dealt with. And I know they felt pretty good having, how they cleared, again, cleared that hurdle by um, with the help of the guy they bought it from, so I know that was one of the big things that that someone else pursuing a similar thing would would need to find a way through, and probably a lot of red tape and paperwork, I'd imagine, as with as with a lot of things. But and it's certainly the same when it comes to butchering meat and all that kind of stuff. I and mean, one of the interesting things is not discounting the value that that some regulation can have in that industry to make sure you're. Beef is the quality it's supposed to be, and your whiskey is the quality it's supposed to be, but so much of this is a throwback to, I mean, there used to be a lot of farms that brew their own whiskey, illicitly or not, probably illicitly in a lot of cases. Certainly that was their family stories from my family from Prohibition where, you know, one one brother was supposed to put the whiskey on the truck and drive drive as fast as he could, and the other one was supposed to poke a skunk in a cage to to cover up the smell if the wrong federal agent come poke, came poking around, and I'd imagine there's probably a lot of, especially Prohibition-era stories from families like that around. And, but when it came to brewing beer, beer used to get brewed in every town would have a little brewery and would use the ingredients that came from, they, the ingredients wouldn't come from Washington State or Germany. They'd come from, they'd come from what was close. And so some of these farmers have really found, have really found a side business and almost taking a step back in time where all this stuff is produced very locally and produced from the grain that's right there or from producing whiskey from your own corn. It, it feels like a little bit of a throwback in a way. And, and and it's obviously, it's a little more complicated than it might've been 200 years ago when it comes to regulations and government on some of that for better or worse, but it's certainly interesting.
0: I think that covers most of my questions on flyover, but I did want to ask here before you wrap about other stories that you are working on or excited about for the new year.
1: I got a couple. There's on that same trip when I was in Northeast Nebraska, I flew in and out of Omaha on that trip and I just managed to squeeze in another visit with another farm when I was down there. And it's a, again, they do corn and, and row crops like a lot of people, but they're engineers as well. And I'm really excited for that one because they, again, what always really gets me is the passion from farmers on some of these side projects. And this one, it's a family and they engineered some really unique and interesting farm equipment. And I would see the family at farm shows i travel to looking for story ideas and stuff and I'd see them. And, and as interesting as their equipment might be, as what they were trying to sell, it's just so interesting that like they believe enough in their idea for this product that, that they like will travel around the country to these farm shows and stand there and watch thousands of farmers walk by and some are interested and some will, some buy their vision, believe in their vision and some don't, but they believe enough to invest so heavily in this. And just kind of that passion that you see from, you know, every, a lot of farmers, I imagine probably fancy themselves inventors. You got a lot of time in a tractor cab to sit and think of things and the ways you can improve things. And a lot of farmers do when they get carried away with welding and and producing little fixes to their problems. And some take it that extra step to, to go on and try and sell it. And so I'm excited to write that story about this family of engineers and farmers in Iowa. So that'll be coming up. I got some stuff I'm really excited about here early in the year.
0: Do you have travel as well? Going to any farm shows this winter, spring?
1: Yeah, we're mixing things up a little bit this year. I've got, first up, I'm going to here in the next week, I'm going to the Kansas Ag Tech Summit in Junction City, Kansas. So that'll be that's always such a good that's a good show for me. It's not a huge show. I go to bigger, maybe fancier you might say, ag tech events. But this one I like so much because it you got a lot of you got a lot of boots that have been in the field, I guess you might say. A lot of dirt on the boots there. A lot of farmers will give presentations. Here's what I tried and here's the results I saw. And that that's really valuable to me. I get pitched I'll get pitched a lot of stories or go to a lot of these events where you can just tell people will talk about this is what farmers want instead. Hey, have you talked to a lot of farmers about this? Because the farmers I've talked to may, I don't get the vibe that they necessarily agree that's exactly what they want, or this is what's going to solve their problems. You just want to do a lot of people, a lot of uh, people who maybe just, just haven't spent as much time on an actual farm. And, you know, so I get, I enjoy this one because it's kind of the opposite. But this year, usually I go to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, and we'll usually have a couple reporters there, and we still will. But this year, I'm going to the World Ag Expo in California instead. I know DTN's been there in the past, and we haven't had a reporter there the last couple of years, at least, at least in my time here, four and a half years. And so, I'm kind of excited to see what's going on out there because so much interesting stuff is is kind of coming out of California, and a lot of the um, a lot of the autonomy and a lot of the drones and stuff have roots out there too. And so I'm kind of excited to see what what technology is going to be there this year. It sounds like it should be a good show. So I'm excited for that.
0: To read all of Joel's stories on farm businesses and ag tech and to catch up on his recent and future reporting, check out the DTN Progressive Farmer magazine or catch up on up to the minute reporting anytime at DTNPF.com. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Joel Richenberger. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever To get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable, get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show.